0: Praise God! Praise God! I'm thankful for this worship team leading us into the presence of God this morning. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and open to to Romans chapter one. And I know um, you always have your Bible with you because you always have your phone with you. But I do want to encourage you when you come to church on a Sunday morning, bring a paper Bible with you. I think it helps to have the Word of God in our hands to be able to highlight, underline things. Just to, just an encouragement. Oftentimes when I share, I'll be reading from the ESV. You don't have to have an ESV, but if you're looking for a Bible, it might be a good way to follow along on, on Sunday mornings, all right? Romans chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading there in verse 8. Paul writes this to the church in Rome. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We believe it's, it's living and active, and so, Lord, we come to it this morning with awe, with an expectation Lord God, believing that you desire to speak to your people. And so I pray in this moment, Lord God, you'd remove any distraction. You'd allow us just to focus in on your word and Holy Spirit that you would speak. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to walk out of here the same way we walked in. We pray you would do something in this moment that would mark us by your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, praise God, we are in the midst of a series. Uh, on the book of Romans, and we're still there in chapter 1. For those of you ladies that were at the ladies' retreat last week, make sure you go back and listen to to the uh, first sermon, the introduction. But we're looking together at Paul's greeting uh, to the church in Rome, and last week uh, we looked at Paul's calling. I don't know if you remember, we talked about how Paul knew who he was. He knew his identity as a, a servant of Jesus Christ. He recognized that Jesus was his Lord and his master, He also knew that he was an apostle, meaning he was one that was sent out by God. And he knew he was set apart for the gospel of God. Remember, as a Pharisee, he knew what he was set apart from. But now he's living into his purpose because he realizes what he's set apart for. And can I just say this morning, you and I too have not simply been set apart from things, we've been set apart for something, right? Certainly we've been set apart from the world, we've been set apart from sin, God is working on us and changing us, but we've been set apart for the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as Paul writes to uh, the church in Rome, he declares two truths that every believer can hold on to today. It's this, they're loved by God and they're called saints. Can I just say this morning, if you've placed your faith in what Jesus has done for you, if if Jesus is your Lord and Master, then know this, you're loved by God and you're called a saint. Today we're going to turn our attention from Paul's initial greeting, and I want to look at his relationship with the church there in Rome. We see a lot of it here. And the first thing you need to see, write this down, is that Paul was proud of the church. Paul was proud of the church in Rome. Verse 8, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. He says, first, before I, I, I tell you anything else, I want you to know that I thank God for you. Paul mentions there that he prays for them. He, he, he does that in most of his letters, but notice how he begins verse 8. He says, I thank my God for you. It's a shame that some of us think of prayer as a crisis event, right, I'm in trouble, I better pray, right? Things are getting really bad, all we can do is pray. But he says, first of all, I pray and I thank God. His, his first prayer activity is not, I'm in trouble, help, it's, God, I thank you. And he's thankful for the church there in Rome. Paul also says this elsewhere in Scripture, he says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, what is he thankful for? He's thankful for their saving faith. Understand, when we talk about the citizens of Rome, most of them were not known for their faith. Most of them were known for their immorality and their drunkenness and their idolatry and their greed and gluttony and sin and wickedness and pride and selfishness. And yet here is a group of people who are living completely different. Why? It's because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so people are talking about the church in Rome. There, there's word getting out there. And, and I imagine some of the conversations went something like this. Did you hear about so-and-so? They were asked to declare that Caesar is Lord, but instead they said, no, Jesus is Lord and Master. They, they may have shared stories of how these Christians would actually go out and search for babies that were abandoned. Even with boats, they would go under the bridges to rescue babies that were thrown into the river to drown. I'm sure the story spread of how these Christians risked their lives to care for the sick during times of plague. And, and so he says, I'm thankful for you because the word is spreading. Paul's not only thankful for their faith. Listen to this. He's thankful to the source of their faith. He says, I recognize this through Christ Jesus. In verse 1, we read of the gospel of God. This means that God sent the good news. In verse 9, we read of the gospel of his son. That, that is good news about Jesus Christ. Paul cannot forget that it was the son, Jesus, who made the sacrifice. And so he thanks God through Jesus Christ because he knows this. It's Jesus that has made all the difference in the Romans' lives. It's Jesus that's made all the difference in our lives. Amen? He's also thankful for the spreading of their faith. He says, again, your, your faith is being proclaimed in all the world. It's being proclaimed, it's being spoken of in the whole world. Well, he's talking about the known world at that time, primarily the Roman Empire. All along the roads, there's words uh, about these believers. There's things being shared about these believers in Rome. And understand, this is right in line with what Jesus called his disciples to do. Matthew 5, 16, he says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to you. Is that what it says? Give glory to who? Give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Right? And so these Christians in Rome are are getting people's attention. Understand this. We do not let the light of Christ shine in us for our glory. It's for his glory alone. It's his light shining through us so he gets the glory. Amen? And, and look at this, Paul's not only proud of the church, but I love this because Paul prayed for the church. He says this, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. He says, here's the proof of his prayer, God's my witness. He, God knows, right? I call God to my witness that I do more than just tell you I'm praying for you. You ever tell someone you're going to pray for them and then forget to do it? Right? I think the best way to avoid that is to pray right away, right? Somebody shares a need with you, you just say, "Can we pray right now?" "I know I could pray when I go home." I know you, "Can we pray right now?" Or you get off the phone, somebody shared a request, "Can we you just pray right now?" right? And and, and Paul says this. He says, "It's with my spirit." Paul had just commended their faith and in doing so, he reveals his faith. Remember, there was a time when, when Paul thought he was serving God, but it was this external, it was this nationalistic, it was this fleshly service. But now that Christ lives within him, everything is different. He serves with his spirit. This is a a key theme that we're going to see in the book of Romans. It's the life of the spirit. But but look at the persistence of his prayer. He says, I pray without ceasing. Now, it's not that that Paul prayed for no one else, because Paul is going to use the same language with the church in Thessalonica. He says the same thing to the believers there. Simply put, this means that Paul prayed for them often. Now, think for a moment about how much Paul had to pray about. I can't even imagine the number of his contacts. He didn't have a computer. He didn't have an iPhone, right? I don't even know if he had an address book, and yet he knew people by name, and he prayed for them by name. And so when Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, I believe he practiced what he preached. Why? Because his spirit is in the service of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's praying. He's praying that the gospel will go forth. He's praying that believers would be strengthened. He's praying for the opportunity to to come to them and to, to minister to them personally. You see, Paul had this great vision that the world would know the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he knew that would only happen if believers were established in the faith, if they stayed strong even in the midst of persecution and became a living witness of the power of God to transform lives. Listen, as challenging as things are becoming in our nation and in our world, I'm believing God to raise up a generation that will stand firm in the midst of persecution. I'm believing God for a people that will be a living witness to the power of God to transform lives. Again, he he wanted the world to know, right, what he called the, the gospel of good news, the good news of God. And the best way to do this was to pray for fellow believers and to preach the word. And can I just say, Nothing has changed in that regard. Strengthening other believers to demonstrate a transformed life in the midst of a, a sin-sick world and preaching about the wonder of God's grace is still God's plan for the world. And and the question for us as the people of God is do we share Paul's motivation? If we do, we will love and pray for our fellow believers. Sadly, the church in America has has fallen short I think, in this area of love for the family of God or love for the church. The the consumer mentality of the world has, has entered the church, and so many only look at a church as what they can get out of it. But I would encourage you, don't just be a spiritual consumer, be a spiritual contributor, right? Understand if God has called you to be a part of a body, there's a reason that you're here, and there's something that he wants to do in and through you to strengthen the body. You see, typically, the enemy has seen so often the lack of love at times within the body of Christ. He, he's seen the individualism. He's seen the consumerism. He's seen the unwillingness to be involved in the lives of others. And so he will imitate a genuine love with, with a false love in these cults. And because of this, nominal Christians are often drawn into these groups because they see something there that they say, well, that's missing in my church. What a shame that some cults practice brotherly caring better than the church does at times. I pray that would not be the case here at Grace amen? And hear me, I'm not talking about enabling people, but I am talking about giving of yourself for the need of fellow believers. I'm talking about being involved in the lives of others and actually caring what's going on, right? You see, Paul was, was so passionate about the church. Paul was a, a man of passion. He was a man of energy. He was a man of movement. Paul, when he served the Sanhedrin, he did it with all of his heart. When Christ saved him, he served God with all of his heart. He loved God. He loved to see others come to know Christ. And so he heard of what was happening in Rome, and he knows it's, it's a growing city, and he says, man, this church is important, right? It's, it's an important church and an important city that could possibly impact the world. And so he says there many times, in just six verses, he tells him five times. He says, I'm making a request to come to you. I long to see you, right? I, 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 that I want to be comforted together with you. I purpose to come to you. I long to see you, right? Can you just hear? You can hear Paul's pastor heart. See, some of the, the saints in, in Rome were were very dear to Paul. Those like Priscilla and Aquila, right? Those who risked their lives for him. Others had labored and suffered with Paul but he also loved the believers that he didn't know, and he longed to be able to share some spiritual gift with them. Paul wanted to meet the church. He says, somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. All his life, Paul had been haunted by the thought of Rome. It had always been one of his dreams. I'm gonna, someday I'm going to preach there to the church in Rome. When he was in Ephesus, he was planning to go through Achaia and Macedonia again, and then there's a sentence in Acts 19, 21, he says, after that, I go there, I, I must also see Rome, right? And, and when he's up against things in Jerusalem, and, and the situation looks threatening, and the end seems near, he had one of those visions that, that would always lift his heart. And in that vision, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, Paul, for as you've testified of me in Jerusalem, so you also bear witness at Rome. Now look at verse 11. Verse 11 and 12, two amazing verses. He writes this, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. What amazing verses. Think about it for a moment. Here's the great Apostle Paul. He's a a former student of Gamaliel. He's been called by Jesus. He's received visions and revelations. He's planted churches. He healed the sick. Remember that time he was stoned to death and he got up again, right? And and, and so he's saying to the believers in Rome, I want to bless you. But he also knows this, that he's going to be blessed by them. And so he says that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Tragically, that's a message that you don't hear too often in the church today. Often you hear, come on out and be blessed by so-and-so. Be blessed by the speaker. Be blessed by this worship band. But you don't ever hear, come on out and bless them, right? Right? Understand, when real believers come together, there is what we call mutual encouragement. Okay, it's not just one-way ministry from a stage or from a pulpit. I got to tell you this, I'm encouraged every time that we can gather together. I'm encouraged by the things that you share. I'm encouraged by the faithfulness in your life. I'm encouraged by the testimonies that you share. It's mutual encouragement. We need each other. I have one gift; you have another, and the body of Christ is incomplete without any, with without any of us being present. And here's the thing: I know we're in this day of technology; we stream our services. You see cameras here, there, and everywhere, right? And, and here's the reason we do that: we do that so that when people are sick, when they're when they're shut in, they can still hear the message; they can still worship with us. But you also have to know this. As a church, we believe in the importance of gathering together. Okay? It's one of the reasons we said we're never going to close our church doors again, regardless of what goes on. We're not closing the doors of this church on a Sunday morning. But here's the thing. Even with that, there's some dangers to online church because ministry just becomes one way. And yes, you can watch the service at home. You can be encouraged, but you can't encourage others. Maybe in the chat, you're like saying something, Right? Well, you really can't, right? And so i got to say this. If you're streaming this service right now and you're streaming from somewhere far away, we pray that the messages bless you, they minister to you. But streaming cannot be a substitute for a local church. For all of you that have moved to Florida, find a church, (laughs) right? You need to find a local church. You need to find a place where you can be encouraged, yes, but where you can also encourage others. And and I love these verses because they speak to me of the humility of the Apostle Paul. Hear me, real Christianity is not being an elitist. Rather, it's about serving one another in love. And Paul says, I want to come and I want to impart some spiritual gift to you to encourage you. Spiritual. The the Greek word there is pneumaticos. He's saying it's not a carnal gift. I don't have something wrapped up that I'm going to hand you. It's related to the spirit and not to the flesh. And the context there tells us he wants to encourage them by his faith. Now, faith can mean the gift of faith, or it can mean his belief system, his doctrine. I think it's the latter. I think here he's talking about the latter because he says, I want to strengthen you. I want to strengthen you. Paul's ministry, understand this, it was, it was a stabilizing ministry. He says, I want to, sterizo is the Greek word. I I want you to be established. I want you to be strengthened, set firm, established in place, decided firmly. Uh, For our ladies on retreat last week, it was firmly planted, right? Paul says, that's what I want to see for your life. In chapter 16, Paul's going to say this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Who is able to strengthen you? It's God who's able to strengthen you, right? It's the power of the Holy Spirit that will strengthen us. Scripture says that those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Look at verse 13. It says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you. I wanted to get there in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. This verse lets us know that the church in Rome was made up mostly of Gentiles, those who Paul felt specifically called to reach. And he says there, here that he wants to reap some harvest among them. Now, this can challenge our interpretation of the word harvest because generally we think that refers to new believers, right? A harvest of new believers, Right. However, that's obviously not the case here because Paul is writing to believers and he says, I want to see a harvest among you. And so what's the harvest or what's the fruit that he wants to see? I believe it's the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of the believers in Rome. He wants to see them continue to grow in their faith so that there would be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, that all of these things would begin to be evident in their lives. He wants to see the same harvest among the rest of the Gentiles as well. Listen, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, understand, first of all, we need Jesus. Because we can never display real fruit of the Spirit without Jesus, right? Without the Spirit of God working in us. And you won't have the Spirit until you receive Jesus. But but there's something here that Paul really wants to, to see in the church. He doesn't just want to see them say a prayer for salvation and then sit in a pew every week. He wants to see their lives transformed he wants to see their lives bearing fruit because when that happens that is how others hear about their faith it's the fruit of the spirit that makes us different from the world and gets people talking What's what's the deal with her what's the deal with him right understand it's the fruit of the spirit that causes the church to advance paul wants to reap a harvest in the church in rome Because he knows how strategic it is to the advancement of the kingdom of God around the world. Listen to me, New Yorkers. As crazy as things are getting in New York State, I still believe the church in New York is strategic to the advancement of the kingdom of God around the world. I believe that. And there may be easier places to live as a Christian, but I don't think they're nearly as strategic or instrumental to what God is going to do in the coming days. And so God wants to establish his church. God wants to strengthen his church for what is ahead. And here's the reality. What, what takes place in Rome in, in a little over three centuries later, this small group of Roman Christians would grow so large that the entire Roman Empire would be converted. Understand today that nations change when churches change and churches change when homes change and homes change when we change. And so when we're praying for revival in our nation, so often we do that, right? God, revive our nation, revive America. The best way to do that is to draw a circle around ourselves and say, God, let revival begin in this circle. Let revival begin in me. Lord, let it start here. And be encouraged today that, that when the fruit of the Spirit overflows in your life, that anything and everything can change. Verse 14, Paul says this, I'm under obligation. He says, I'm under obligation to both the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, and so I'm eager. Oh, man, I can't wait to preach the gospel to you guys in Rome. Paul knew that he was called to the Gentiles, but really his target was everyone. He wanted everyone to hear the gospel. And he could do this best by preaching the gospel to the church in Rome. You see, the apostles believed, and we still believe today, that the preaching of Scripture is what transforms lives and results in believers bearing the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Word of God that convicts us to yield to the Holy Spirit. And when we yield to the Holy Spirit, guess what? We bear the fruit of the Spirit. And so our world today still needs a declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the problem is that somebody preached something other than the word of God. right? Well, they may throw a verse in here or there, but understand it's the transforming power of the word of God that changes us. And when you go into a church, you will know if Christ is preached through the word because you'll sense the power, right? And that word begins to go to work. It's the word of God that challenges us. It's the word of God that guides us and corrects us and instructs us. It's the power of God to change us. This is why Paul tells young Timothy, he says, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Preach Christ crucified. We had an opportunity during our sabbatical sabbatical time to to travel through uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. I don't know if any of you have gotten to the Billy Graham Museum down there, the library. Uh, Tremendous testimony to the life of Billy Graham and his ministry, and as we walked through there, I was just so impressed by how this man, simple man, preached the simple gospel and saw lives changed. Preached the simple gospel. He preached the cross. He preached the cross. For any of you young people who are sensing a call, to go into the preaching ministry, preach the word of God. Preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. He's the salvation of God. Preach Jesus. He's, he's the grace of God. Why would you preach anything else? And so Paul says he has an obligation. Look at this. He has an obligation for those he's called to reach. Do you realize today that we have an obligation? Do you realize that, church? We have an obligation to those that God has called us to. Oh, it's a privilege to share the word of God. It's a privilege to to share the gospel. It's a gift, but I want you to know it's also an obligation because we have been bought with the greatest price. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have something that the world so desperately needs. Can I just say love has been invested in you? And here Paul says he's eager to preach the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, There's this necessity that's laid on him to preach the gospel. He says, woe to me if I don't do it. And I would say, woe to us if we don't yield ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ and to his calling over our lives to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul says this. He says, I'm a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. Now, let me unpack that a little bit because there are a couple of ways that you can be in debt. Obviously, if you borrow money from someone, you're in debt to that person, right? You have to pay off whatever you borrowed from them, and you're in debt to them uh, until you pay them. That's why Dave Ramsey says that debt is dumb. Some of you need financial peace. (laughs) Debt is dumb, right? Why? Because you're a slave to the lender. But there's a second way you can be in debt. You can be given money from someone for someone, for a third party, right? They, they hand you $100 and say, can, can, I give the, can you give this to so-and-so, right? Can you, can you give this to her, right? At that point, you're, an, you're a debtor to who? To the person who the money belongs to, okay? It doesn't belong to you, okay? You owe a debt, and the way you pay that debt off is by taking the money and not spending it at the cafe, okay? You take that money and you give it to who it belongs to. Right? You deliver it to them. You're in debt to them until you've given it to them. That's how Paul uses this phrase. He says, I'm a debtor, both to Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and unwise. I've been given something, and it's not just for me. I'm in debt to give it to someone else. That's how he uses the phrase. I'm a debtor, both to Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and unwise. What is the debt? It's the gospel. I'm in debt to share the gospel with people. And so my obligation is not to to hoard the gospel message. It's to proclaim it. That's the debt, right? Way back in in, in the book of 2 Kings, I want to share a story with you as we prepare to close, as the worship team comes. There's there's this amazing story. And we're told that there was a, a famine in Samaria. And the Syrian army had encamped around Samaria. Their plan was to destroy it. And so in chapter 7, it says that there were four lepers that were hanging out at the gate of Samaria. Four lepers. Understand, in those days, leprosy was a death sentence. Eventually, this disease would consume them. They were destined to die. And the only question at that point was, what is going to take their lives first? Will it be the leprosy or will it be starvation? Because, again, there's a famine in the land. And so here they are, they're, they're in, in, in dire straits, and they look at each other, and one leper says to his friend, you know what, guys, we're going to die. Why should we just sit here until we die? If we go into the city of Samaria, we're going to die there too, because there's no food in the city. But what if, just, just hear me out, guys, what if we go into the camp of the enemy? What if we go to the camp of, of the Syrians, and, and we turn ourselves in? I know it's a long shot, but they might feed us a meal. Sure, they're the enemy. Sure, they could kill us, but so what? We're going to die anyway. If they do feed us, that's great. If not, what have we got to lose? And so they go to the Syrian army, and when they arrive in the camp, you know the story? It's totally empty. There's, there's no one there in the camp. The army of the, the, the Syrians had imagined that they heard the sound of chariots. They thought that an army had come. An army like the Hittites or the Egyptians had been hired by the Israelites. And so they, they, they were afraid. They thought they were surrounded, and they fled the city. They ran out of the, their, their camp there. They left their tents, and they left everything in it. And so picture this. Four lepers come walking into an empty camp, and the tents are filled with food and wine and gold and silver iPhones, everybody left their iPhones, they were in a rush. And so they do what? They do what anyone would do in their position. They start eating and and drinking and and they're celebrating. They're going from 10 to 10. Look what I found. And they begin to hide things in the ground and say, you know what, I'm going to come back for that later. They're they're celebrating and, and they're enjoying life and they're saying, how awesome is this? Who's got it better than we do? Look at all that we have. And then all of a sudden... In the midst of their celebration, they realize, and they look at each other, and they say, wait, what we're doing isn't right. What we're doing is not right, for this is a day of good news, and yet we remain silent. We, we found the enemy camp with all of its supplies. We owe it now to the people in the city of Samaria to tell them there's food in the camp, there, there's provision in the camp. This is a day of good news, and yet we remain silent. And i got to tell you, I'm still waiting for the church in America to wake up and say, you know what? What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news. We have good news, and yet we remain silent. We're debtors. We're in debt to our families and our friends to tell them. We're in debt to tell them, there's provision for you. There's grace that's available to you. Can I tell you about Jesus and what he's done for my life? You see, I think Paul understood it rightly, that he was in debt to the gospel. And so you and I now have a debt to the world. We have a debt. And church, we can't stay silent. There's salvation that's available. There's grace that God is offering. And so Paul says, man, I'm in debt. I'm a debtor to everyone. Now, there's a lot in these verses that, that we can unpack, but I just want to close by encouraging you. Would you stand with me today? I just really want to encourage you as the body of Christ. And maybe even right now, Holy Spirit's speaking to you in one of these areas and, and, and beginning to convict you. But I want to encourage you that anytime you walk through the doors of this church, You have the opportunity, anytime we have the opportunity to gather like this as the church uh, with other believers, I want to encourage you, be humble enough to realize that you can be blessed by every believer. And understand this today, that the kingdom of God will advance in Rockland County when the Holy Spirit is made manifest in us. Because the darker this world gets, the more that the fruit of the Spirit will make us radically different than the world around us. And it's that difference that's going to draw people to Christ. It's the good news of Jesus. That's why next week Paul's going to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. But I want to close today by by opening up these altars. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in lives right now. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, obviously, it's not something that we can work up. It's what the Holy Spirit does within us. When we talk about a boldness to share the gospel, it's not something we can work up in and of ourselves. We're afraid, but the Holy Spirit can give us boldness. And so we're going to close the service by opening these altars. And maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what, pastor, when I look at my life, I don't see a lot of fruit of the Spirit in my life. I don't see love and joy and peace and and patience. Well, here's the thing. If you want to see those things, it's by surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Scripture says you have not because you ask not. It also says that if we pray in, in accordance with God's, anything in accordance with God's will, he will do it. And can I just tell you, it is his will that the fruit of the Spirit would be evident in your life. And so maybe you're here today and you say, I'm not seeing that fruit. I want to encourage you, in just a moment, you can find a place at these altars and just say, Holy Spirit, do a work in me. Holy Spirit, I need you to to change me. I need you to shape me. He desires to do that work in you, and here's why. He wants to make you radically different. He wants to allow you to shine as a light in a dark world, but some of you today, if you look at your life, you realize you're not opening your mouth. You've been blessed. you received grace. You've received mercy. You could come in here on a Sunday morning and say, isn't this great? Look at all that we have. Look at all the way that we've been blessed. But maybe this morning, the Holy Spirit is just convicting you and saying, what you're doing is not right. It's not right that you would hoard this to yourself. You need to begin to open your mouth. There's people that come to mind even right now. You need to begin to open your mouth. You need to begin to speak to them. You need to begin to declare the goodness of God. If you want boldness today to share the gospel, it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we close today, these altars are going to be open. I'm going to ask the pastors and the elders and the deacons to come. We're just going to pray over you. And we're going to pray for an infilling of the Holy Spirit. If you desire more of the fruit of the Spirit, ask for it. He desires to fill you today. If you desire to be bold in your witness, ask for it today. As we close, just come. Just begin to come. Just begin to move out to these altars. Find a place we would be honored to pray over you, pray for you. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh and anew, give you a new boldness to allow the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in the body here at Grace Point. Let's pray. Let's worship.